Today we are in Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11. This is the message of God. Literally, these are God's words, response to Habakkuk, uh, the complaint that we studied last week. So Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11. Look at the nations and see. Be astonished, be astounded. For work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For I am rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation, who march the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Dread and fearsome are they. Their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more menacing than wolves at dusk. Their horses charge. Their horsemen come from far away. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. With faces pressing forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and of rulers they make sport. They laugh at every fortress and heap up earth to take it. Then they sweep by like the wind, they transgress and become guilty. Their own might is their God. The word of the Lord. Last week we talked about how this book tells a story between Habakkuk and God, a dialogue. We discussed the difference between lament and complaint. We read how Habakkuk the prophet cried out to God during a challenging and ongoing situation where his country was in dire straits. We feel his distress as he cried out, how much longer? Why do you not save? Why do I have to look at injustice? Where are you? While most of us have felt anguish at some level over God not acting in the ways we believe he should at times, we want to differentiate between us feeling as though God doesn't listen and the reality of how we know he does. God led Habakkuk to pray these words because God feels them also. We want to separate the common narrative that God doesn't care about humanity's hurts and remember in the various ways that we know truth how he absolutely does. And we ended our time last week reflecting on how our questions and doubts and laments are gifts to those who believe. They build trust between God and his people for the covenant that we share together. But today's scripture is rough for us to hear. Basically, it has one point, and it's this. God will use anything, even the greatest evil, to accomplish his purposes. Habakkuk lamented about how life in Judah was at an all-time low, and he wanted reassurance and comfort and an end to suffering. But God responds with unbelievable news that Judah was going to be conquered by the dreaded and feared Babylonians. Now, this does actually, in some ways, end the suffering that Habakkuk described, because the nation is no longer going to be viable, but that is not the answer he wanted. What happens when we pray? Only to have the exact opposite take place. 
How do we deal with the disappointment and the dismay of evil triumphing over good? In this case, God not just allowed it, he encouraged it as a response to Judah's disobedience because they didn't live up to the covenant that they promised him. I was pondering how very much like humans that we all are to live as we want and then blame God for our plight. How very much like all of us to want to do as we please and then get saved when things get hard for us. But we cringe and complain when other people do that to us, don't we? Don't we all have friends or siblings or children or co-workers or neighbors who don't really care about us, but then consistently use us when they're struggling? Because we would never be those people. Yeah, right. Can you bail us out of this situation? I don't have enough money. I can't get my work done. I need a ride. Sometimes they're even rude and demanding about it. And God doesn't want to be used. Neither do we. He has boundaries, but we don't want the Almighty to have boundaries with us. We don't want dire consequences to happen. In the Bible, there is such incredible wisdom for us to live by. And I was pondering what truth forms the basis of all of the wisdom that we see and read and know in Scripture. I think that one of the bases is this, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord when there is war, when life is sorrowful, even when we don't understand. Trust God. Even when people around us say, no, I will not trust a God who kills, who allows destruction, who turns a blind eye to human suffering. But then we stop and we say, but we can't make God in our image. We can't say God is God only if the evidence that we see proves that he is. That the reality is that in this broken world, things are way more complex than we even know. And this passage gives us an example of the Lord's plan, which we might not see just as difficult to understand, but actually repugnant as people of faith. So let's break down a few things that um, are happening here. In verse 5, God uses four words of exclamation. Look, see, be astonished, be astounded. This is being addressed to all of Judah. It's a reminder that their problems are not the only issues in the world. God is saying there is a bigger picture going on here. He's telling them that they're not going to believe the work he is doing, even if they were told. It's interesting. Did you know that Paul uses this scripture in Acts? He quotes this when he's talking to an audience and telling them to believe the gospel, saying that those who scoff would be amazed at the work that God is doing in their days, that they will perish if they don't turn to the Lord. In verse 6, God says he is going to rouse up the Chaldeans to bring judgment to Judah. The term Chaldeans is used regularly in the Old Testament to refer to the Babylonian Empire, which rose to prominence quickly. I think Pastor Denny is going to be talking about that more next week. They came out of nowhere 
and they captured Assyria and Nineveh and Haran. This is only 20 years. 20 years they did this before Habakkuk's prophecy, and now they're turning their eyes on tiny Judah. Here we see how God does address two things that Habakkuk raised. One was about justice. In verse 7, God says, the Babylonian sense of justice and dignity proceed from themselves. In other words, they have playground rules. They're bigger, so they make the rules and they win. The other thing that is being addressed here is about violence. And God says how the Babylonians will come only for violence, just for violence, gathering captives like sand. And so Judah will watch and not be able to stop it. And Israel had known plenty of victory in their days. I've been reading through Joshua recently, and the victories for Israel happened one after another, as long as they were listening to God and doing as instructed, instructed. But this is a reverse of those glory days. Instead of looking in astonishment at how they're going to have their enemies delivered into their hands, they are going to watch in slow motion as they are decimated. Because the judgment now is against them. They have lost battles, but they have lived to see another day. This is a different kind of day. God lists ferocious animals here, known for their aggressive speed to overtake their enemies. Leopards, wolves, eagles. This is consistent with Babylon being described here as fearless, contemptuous of authority, mighty, fierce, impetuous, laughing at every fortress, sweeping in like the wind, ruthless. Their own might is their God. No one can oppose them. They worship themselves and their ability to conquer others. So the notion of the Lord not just allowing, but orchestrating the demise of his own people goes against what we believe about and want to be true of God. But we know how Adam and Eve were told to leave the garden. In Deuteronomy 28, when the people are settling into the land that God had given them, Moses warned the Israelites, judgment will come. If you reject the Lord, if you do not keep the covenant established between you, Moses told them they would be besieged and their walls and gates would not save them when the enemy came to call. But still we proclaim, God is not evil. He does not tempt us to give in to wickedness, nor does he cause it. However, he will use it. He will rouse it to bring a greater good, to fulfill purposes bigger than anyone can understand. How do we know this? Because of the crucifixion of Christ. The murder of Jesus was profoundly immoral, a profoundly nefarious act, but it was God's plan to use it through the concerted effort of those in power to silence Jesus, through a violent frenzy of the people to kill him, through the fear of his followers, God brought redemption to all of humankind. We think about Peter telling Jesus, stop talking about how you're going to die. And Jesus rebukes him fully for it. The Lord knew all that would take place 
which was for a greater plan no one could see. So today, we celebrate a God who is not bound by our idea of what the world should be. We celebrate a Savior who submitted to death so that we could be forgiven. We examine the covenant we have made with God, seeking to be honest about what it means for us in this season of our lives to be in relationship with God and with those with whom we share community. But we also wrestle with those things we don't understand. We mourn for those who are in the throes of war and violence. We ask God that he would hear our doubts and our heartache and our cries about not just what we see in Europe, but in many places where there is conflict and conquest. We cry out for peace while also asking for God's ultimate will and purposes to come to be. We ask for God to show us how to trust him more, humbly acknowledging that we don't know best, even as we speak out and protest the wrong that we see around us. In communion, we affirm the greatness and the mercy and the promises of God. And we recognize that we are in Lent, the yearly journey to the cross. Lent gives us time to more fully understand the nature of death and what it means to be raised to new life. We celebrate today how no one on earth has to be defined or bound by what happens here. As we hold life and death together in this temporary sphere, may we worship Jesus in this act of communion, believing in the ultimate victory through grace that everyone can have, that no earthly weapon can stand against. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.